We turn in the Word of God to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. This well-known prayer of Moses, the man of God. And we'll read the entirety of the psalm together. Again, a, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which grows up. In the, in the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it is cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are seventy years, and if by reason of strength they are eighty years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. For who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long, and have compassion on your servants. O satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the living God. We prepare to hear the word preached. Let's bow and pray together briefly and ask for the help of God's Holy Spirit. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we confess that your word is our light and our salvation, that you have revealed yourself to us. You have shown us the, the matters of life and death and Eternity, the life everlasting through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And now we pray for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come and illumine your word. Drive home these sobering realities to our hearts. Teach us, indeed, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Open our eyes. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe the glorious truth of the gospel. Deliver us from frittering away our time and enable us to run to you for your mercy and to live our lives every moment that you give, that you give us for your greater glory, for the advance of your kingdom, to seek first your kingdom and righteousness and to know your presence with us, you as the dwelling place of your people in all generations. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We're studying Psalm 90 together as we come to the Word of God. This psalm that is perhaps one of the best known psalms in our Psalter. This prayer of Moses, the man of God, perhaps the oldest of all of the psalms. This psalm penned by Moses, as we'll see in a moment, in those years of wandering. 
that we, the years of wilderness wandering of the children of Israel, this reflection on matters of life and death and even the life everlasting. And I wonder tonight if your conscience is, is often plagued by regret. Is your conscience often plagued by regret? Regret in our hearts and in our consciences can be a, a really painful thing, can't it? It's regret, perhaps, over missed opportunities to, to serve the Lord, over time that perhaps you've wasted, even as we've been confronted and will be confronted shortly by the, the fleeting nature of our lives, of the reality of the eternity of God and our short, fleeting, passing lives. Perhaps your regret is over opportunities that you've had, but you didn't take advantage of, worship services that you missed, opportunities in the Word and prayer that you failed to take advantage of. Even more, perhaps your regret is over sins that you've committed, past sins against God and against others, and the painful memory of those sins, forgiven as they are in Christ, washed away by His blood. The regret of those things still bothers you and nags at your conscience. And maybe you've noticed this. That in the midst of regret and the memory of sins that you've committed in the past and those missed opportunities, that the passing of time doesn't make it better. That as your life continues to, to pass at a seemingly lightning speed, that the regret stays there and, and perhaps it even increases with time. And this experience of the pain of regret and the, alongside the, the fleeting, passing nature of our, of our lives, it approximates the experience of Israel in those 40 years of wilderness wandering when Moses penned this psalm. It's likely that Moses wrote this psalm toward the end of those 40 years of wilderness wandering. And if you're familiar with the narrative, we read of it in Numbers chapter 14. It's really a poignant and a, a striking event. It's a sad chapter in the history of God's people Israel. A time, no doubt, when an entire generation were filled with regret over their past sin, even in the midst of God's temporal judgments of their sin. We read of this in Numbers chapter 14 to set up the context. You know that the children of Israel have been brought out of Egypt. I spoke of this in, in preaching even this morning of the, those years of wilderness wandering. And shortly after the Exodus, as God has brought his people out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. You know that the people are on the, as we come to the book of Numbers, the people are on the edge of the promised land, on the edge of entering into their inheritance, of coming into possession of what God has promised, that land flowing. Children, you remember this, the land flowing with milk and honey. They're on the cusp of entering into that rich inheritance. But what happens? They again fail to believe the promises of God. And because of their unbelief, uh, the promised land, the inheritance, is closed off to an entire generation. You know the story well. Uh, Twelve spies, a spy from each tribe, are appointed to go and explore, search out the, the promised land and bring back a report to the people of Israel. The, the majority report from ten of those spies comes back uh, negatively, that we're not able, the, the land surely is good, but we're not able to, to go into it. There are giants in the land and walled cities, and 
we're not able, we're, we're not able to overcome them. Rather than believing the two faithful spies, Joshua and Caleb, the people instead believed that majority report of the ten evil spies. And because of this unbelief, the Lord reacts in, in great judgment. In fact, at, at first declaring that he will wipe away, he will uh, disinherit them, striking them with the pestilence. Numbers 14, verse, verse 12, the Lord declares to, to Moses, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, take away their inheritance. And I will make of you, Moses, a nation greater and mightier than they. Moses here, and this is key to our understanding of Psalm 90 later on. Moses intercedes for the people. He acts as an intercessor, as an advocate, as a mediator, as one who goes between and pleads the case of a wicked and a disobedient people. And the Lord, in verse verse 19, Moses prays, Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. And in verse 20, most interesting, the Lord in in, in the the mystery of His providence, uh, certainly from eternity setting His love on His chosen people, uh, yet in in, uh, the, the revelation that we have here, this severe judgment upon them, Yet we we have his mercy in the midst of judgment. Verse 20, the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. As an aside, what a great motivation and opportunity for us to pray. That the Lord pardoned, hear this, the, the Lord pardoned the people of Israel, their iniquity, because of the intercession of Moses, the man of God. Very interesting lesson on prayer, But to pick up with the, the narrative, the Lord has pardoned the sin, the great unbelief, the wickedness of this people, but yet there's a judgment pronounced upon them, upon an entire generation, a temporal judgment in this life. We read of this judgment in verse 29 in graphic terms. The carcasses of you, the Lord declares, The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun, which shall by no means enter, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. But your little ones, whom you said would be victims, I will bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you... Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. Your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, forty days, for each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely forty years, and you shall know my rejection. You get the picture of what's going on here in Numbers 14. The Lord is declaring... This entire generation, again, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, this entire generation will fall dead in the wilderness. Their dead bodies will be buried until this entire generation, all those who are 20 years old and older at this time in Israel's history, until they're all passed away. And then the younger generation will enter into the promised land. And so Moses, as the man of God, the leader of the children of Israel, he will witness funeral after funeral. 
death after death, grieving Israelite family after grieving Israelite family, all those 40 years. If you average out the numbers, something like 15,000 deaths per year in those 40 years. 40, maybe perhaps 42 funerals a day, averaging it out further. Death surrounding him at every turn. This is the context from which Moses will pray the poignant and sobering words of Psalm 90. In the midst of death, God's judgment upon the sin of his people, Moses looks to the Lord and cries out for mercy. And there's much that, that we learn here. Could I offer you this, this theme? If you want, want a theme to hold our study together from the psalm tonight. This psalm teaches you how to pray when you understand that your life is short. How to pray when life is short. And life is short. It's a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Psalm 90 instructs you how you are to frame your requests and prayer to God when you contemplate, when you think about the shortness of time, the reality of sin, the great everlasting nature of God, and the brevity of this passing life. A poignant and striking psalm, one that is indeed sobering, but yet there's much fruit for us to, uh, for our meditation tonight. May the Lord help us to see uh, the rea- these eternal realities and to lay hold of them by faith. Really, the uh, verses 12 down through 17 are, the, are the, the heart of Moses' prayer. Before he gets there, there are three meditations. So really three meditations and, and then a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Three things that he's going to meditate on that will all move him in the direction of prayer. Three simple meditations. The first has to do in verses 1 and 2 with the eternity of God, the everlasting nature of of God, the one who is from everlasting to everlasting. In verses 3 to 6, Moses is going to meditate on our fleeting lives, our, the brevity, the shortness of our lives now. Then in verses 7 through 11, he'll meditate on the reason that our lives are short, the reason that they're so brief, God's judgment against our sin. And then he'll, we'll, we'll see the heart of his prayer in verses 12 down through 17. Really, as he intercedes, and this is important, as he intercedes on behalf of the people of Israel. So let's study the this, this psalm together. This, this everlasting, the first meditation, the everlasting character of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. And really, this is, uh, you need to understand this in order to understand the entire psalm. Even the reason that Moses can pray is that the Lord and his Magnificent glory and, and everlasting nature has condescended. Uh, he himself is the dwelling place or the refuge of his people in every generation. And certainly Moses here as he prays to the God who is from everlasting to everlasting. And as he thinks on God, the dwelling place of the people of Israel, he has in mind the, the entire history of the people of God. Even going back long ago, long before Moses, centuries before, to the fathers, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember that the Lord had been their dwelling place in all generations. The dwelling place of Abraham, the one called out of Ur of the Chaldees. The one who called out of his, 
out of paganism, out of his country, and then called to really to wander, uh, to not having a set place to, to live, having promises, and, and he laying hold of those promises in, in faith, but not having a, a true home, some, somewhere to put down roots, wanders in, in, in faithfulness and following the Lord. The Lord had been, Jehovah had been the dwelling place of Abraham long ago, also of Isaac and of Jacob, these men who dwelt in, dwelt in tents, the Lord their dwelling place. And now Moses prays to the Lord, the home, the everlasting refuge, the eternal refuge, to borrow the language of Deuteronomy chapter 33, the eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Moses meditates on God, the dwelling place of his people, and all generations. The God who, as we read in verse 2, is from everlasting to everlasting. The God who precedes creation. The one who, who made the mountains. The, the mountains that are so often in the Psalms the symbol of permanence. That which is unshakable and from everlasting. Moses is saying, no, it's the Lord who, who existed long ago. The one who is from everlasting to everlasting. Even before these seemingly permanent mountains were formed. The God who is from the beginning and who will have no end. And the one in, in His Son, Jesus Christ, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The one who does not change, and therefore the sons of Jacob are not consumed. The one to whom we come in prayer when we think about the shortness of, of time and our fleeting lives, and we contemplate His everlasting nature and the fact that in Jesus Christ, he has condescended to us. And think of this. The whole reason that Moses could pray, the reason that, that we can pray, is that the everlasting God, the God who has been the dwelling place of His people in all generations, took on our nature in Jesus Christ, the one who in the fullness of time was born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. The one, the eternal God, the eternal second person of the Trinity takes on our flesh and becomes bound by the same time. The infinite takes on our finite nature. The immortal takes on our mortality. This is what prepares Moses to pray, even in the shadows of the Old Testament looking ahead. And this is how we begin to pray in the light of the shortness of our lives. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. You've come in close. You've condescended. You've revealed yourself to us. From the everlasting character and nature of God, Moses turns to consider something of the brevity of life. Verses 3 through 6. Verse 3, you turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men. Moses reflects upon the, the fact that that of dust we are, and to dust we will soon return. That generation after generation arise and then quickly pass off the scene. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. The, the images that, that Moses employs here in the text, writing under inspiration of the Spirit, these images are profound. He compares our, our lives to uh, like a watch in the night. God's, uh, God's eternity is everlasting nature. 
in his sight, a thousand years, just like a yesterday when it is past. But we're like a watch in the night, just like our, our lives fly by, like a, a few hours pass in, in the night. Our, the days of our, of our lives are, are like a sleep, like a, a, a short night's rest, or perhaps like the dream that you have that you don't remember as soon as you wake up and the, the memory of that dream so quickly passes away. Our lives are taken away like a, a river carries away the, the rushing water. Remember those, those words that Isaac Watts penned in his famous hymn, his well-known hymn, O God, our help in ages past. Those timeless words. Time like an ever-rolling stream bears all its sons away. They fly forgotten as a dream dies at the opening day. Our lives are like rushing water in the in a flooding river they're like a a night's sleep a dream that's soon forgotten and they're like grass that grows up in the morning and is green and fresh and flourishing but then soon even by that same day at evening it because of the sunlight and the severe heat dries up and browns and withers away our lives are indeed brief transient and temporary Again, to quote the Apostle James, What is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a time and then vanishes away. I hope that you think much about time, about the fleeting nature of your life. That even as we read later in the psalm in verse 10, even when we think that we might have 70 or even 80 years by reason of strength, yet even in those, those years, the, the, the life that is seemingly so long, yet even in the midst of those things, the, their boast is only those years, the, the boast of those years is only labor and sorrow. We are soon cut off and we fly away. That even for those who lived to, as it were, that ripe old age, uh, the days of their lives are filled with sorrow, with suffering, with affliction, with the, the misery of the curse. Hope that you think much about time. I've never met an, an older saint who didn't comment, didn't reflect upon the shortness of their lives. That their life is, has just seemed to fly by here today and, and then so suddenly moving so quickly to its end. And even you children, you young, young people and children, you can understand something of this. See, it's not just something that older folks talk about. You children experience this, this same reality, don't you? Have you ever looked forward, children, to a vacation or a coming birthday party, something, some family celebration or something that you really look forward to, you're so excited about, you can't wait for the day to arrive when your family can leave on vacation or you can have all your friends over for a birthday party. You're so full of excitement and anticipation. But then the day comes and the birthday party or the vacation is, is over in an instant and pretty soon it's just a, a memory that's so distantly receding in your memory. Even for you, children and young people, your life appears for a little time and then so quickly moves away. We ought to reflect deeply on this truth. To think about the, the passing and fleeting nature of our lives. Particularly that image of the grass. That in the morning, 
the, the grass flourishes and grows up. In the evening it is cut down and withers. The, the psalms are full of this imagery. Psalm 102, verse 11, the psalmist declares there, My days are like a shadow that lengthens, and I wither away like grass. Psalm 103, verse 15, As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. So quickly gone. And more, that the, these days of our lives, these years, are full, believer, of, of sorrow and of suffering. John Calvin said this, that before men decline and come to old age, even in the very bloom of youth, they are involved in many troubles, and they cannot escape from the cares, weariness, sorrows, fears, griefs, inconveniences, and anxieties to which this mortal life is subject. And the Puritan Thomas Watson said that we come into the world with a cry and leave it with a groan. There's an inexorable, inexorable march toward death. The fleeting nature of our lives and the soon approach of death. But Moses goes even deeper here as he's reflected on the everlasting nature of God and our short, passing, fleeting lives. He goes deeper. Why are our lives so short? We ought not to think, we ought not to think that our lives are short because of some biological necessity. That just accepting it because this is the way things are, or numbing our consciences to it, ignoring those, those painful regrets over things that we ought to have done, dif- that we wish we had done differently, or sins that we committed in the past. No, we ought to understand why our lives are so short, why they grow up like grass in the morning, but then so quickly are cut down and weather, and we die and, and pass away. Why? Why are our lives so short? Well, we understand We understand the reason for this later in the psalm, starting with verse 7. The reason is God's just judgment against our sins, His wrath against our iniquities. Verse 7, For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, and the light of your countenance. In these verses, verses 7 through 11, the the psalmist Moses refers to God's wrath three times and twice to the anger of God against sin. And this is just anger. This is not God being capricious or, or being vengeful. It's God's justice against our sin. This is the clear teaching of the Word of God. It's painful for us to think about, but think about it, we must. Remember Romans 5, verse 12. Why do we die? Because of sin. For by one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin. And by one man, that, uh, that death spread to all men, because all have sinned. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. We die because of our sin. Because sin always brings with it misery, and misery that results in death. No, death is not a, it's not a mere biological necessity. It's not the way things just have to be. It's not, it's not a mechanism of, of cold mother nature. No, it, it is 
God's just judgment against our sin. And this is set off so poignantly, isn't it, in the context of Moses' prayer as he reflects on God's judgment against his people Israel in the wilderness as he's witnessing funeral after funeral, passing after passing. Uh, Every time the children of Israel breaking camp and moving to the next spot and the, the next place to camp in the wilderness, leaving behind them a massive number of graves. Moses reflects on God's just anger that has consumed the people because of their sin and their iniquity. Sobering indeed. Painful indeed for us to consider. Verse 11. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. As we're brought face to face in the psalm, yes, with God's everlasting glory, our fleeting, passing lives, but also our sin and the pain of, of sin that, and the reminder of guilt and, and shame and, and sin that, that we have committed. Yes, the wages of sin is death. There's a sobering warning here for you and me, the covenant people of God in the New Testament, having all of the privileges that God has given us. Israel of old had privileges, Brought out of Israel, brought out of Egypt with God's mighty hand and outstretched arm, given his holy law, provided for time and time again, sustained, shown his, his power and his mercy and his loving kindness, yet they respond again, time and again, with unbelief. We in the new covenant certainly can run the same risk of taking advantage of all of our privileges, the privilege that you have even, even now of sitting under the preaching of the word, having the, having the, the privilege of the, sacra- the word and the sacraments and Christian fellowship, you can fall prey to the same evil desires. And so there's a sobering warning here from Psalm 90, not to take these privileges lightly, but to use them in, in faith, laying hold of Christ and following after him. The New Testament is very clear about God's judgment of Israel of old, who abused her privileges and was judged. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 17. Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? God's anger against those who had sinned and broken his law. Also, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The chapter begins with listing the privileges of the people of Israel of old. But then, verse 5, but with most of them, these Old Testament, uh, the people of old in the Old Covenant, but with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And there's a sobering reminder here to you and to me, not to take, particularly children, hear me, don't take your privileges lightly. Lay hold of Christ. Run to Him. Don't play games with sin. Don't waste your time. Lay hold of Christ. Realize that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Believe the gospel. Follow the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a sobering warning here in these verses not to take our covenant privileges lightly, but to use them well for the glory of God. But this is, this is not where Moses ends. Moses does not end on this sobering note. He turns to the Lord as the intercessor of the people of God 
and he cries out to the Lord for mercy. He cries out for wisdom. He cries out for the Lord's steadfast love and faithfulness, for the establishing of, of the work of, of God's kingdom. And his, his petitions are instructive. We'll go through them very briefly. He prays, verse 12, for a godly and wise use of time, that in light of all of this, the fact that God is on high, the one from everlasting to everlasting, who is the dwelling place of his people, in light of our short passing lives, in light of our sin and the misery that that sin brings. He prays, Lord, in verse, in verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a, a heart of wisdom. He prays for a godly and a wise use of time, that we would not fritter away time, squandering what God is, what precious time God has given us, but that we would number our days, that we would understand just how short our lives are, and then by the grace of Christ, that we would gain true wisdom. He prays as well for a return of God's favor, that God would in wrath remember mercy. Verse 13, return, O Lord, how long, and have compassion on your servants, that in the midst of wrath and just Wrath against our sin. Lord, remember mercy. Show us your gracious presence again. Remind us of the forgiveness of our sins, that you are a God who delights in mercy and in pardon. And that even in the midst of, of this favor, that uh, for more, that the people, a, th- a third petition, a third idea here, he prays for comfort and joy in the midst of God's favor. Verse 14, O satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us. Lord, make us glad in your salvation. Return, show us your favor. And in the midst of that favor, make us glad again. Drive back the misery of sin and the, the, the misery of your judgment against our sin. In wrath, remember mercy and make us glad again in your work and in your salvation. He prays for a godly and wise use of time, for the return of God's favor, for comfort for the people of God and joy in the midst of that, in the midst of that favor. And finally, for the progress of God's work and kingdom. Verses 16 and 17. For the work of the people of God. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. He prays for the ongoing work of God's kingdom, of his church, as it were, the the church in the Old Testament, the church in the wilderness, this next generation in particular, as they're on the verge of entering the promised land. Moses prays that the Lord would let his beauty and glory rest upon that next generation. That putting aside his wrath and his judgment, that he would establish this next generation in the land, in the enjoyment of their inheritance. And remember again that Moses is praying all these things, not only for himself, but for the people. He's acting as the advocate or the mediator, the old covenant mediator of the people of God. And in this way, he points us to the better mediator, our great high priest, our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who prays for us 
as his people. And just as Moses prayed for the saints in the Old Covenant, for the Lord's remembering of of mercy in the midst of judgment, for favor, for pardon of sin, so our Savior has prayed for us as his people, that the Lord indeed would satisfy us early with his mercy, that he would make us glad according to the days in which we have been afflicted. Remember how our Savior prayed on the cross of of Calvary, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Remember that he prayed for Simon Peter that his faith would not fail. That he prayed that his church would be established, that that his church would be unified in in the truth and, and sanctified and built up. Remember the words of Hebrews, of Hebrews 4, verse 14, that we have a high priest, our Savior Christ, who has passed into the heavens. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. We read more of Christ as our high priest in chapter 7 of the same epistle, verse 25. He, his priesthood continues forever. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Moses was a faithful intercessor, a faithful advocate for the people as a servant in the house of God. We have better things, brothers and sisters, here in the new covenant. Christ as the Son over the house of God who intercedes for us, who prays for the pardon of the Father. More, who went to the cross to secure that pardon, to secure that mercy, to secure for us the forgiveness of all of our sins, the everlasting favor of God, and life, not just life here now, but He secured life everlasting, which is your hope, Christian, in the midst of a short fleeting, passing life. All glory to our Savior, Jesus Christ. So how ought you, Christian, how are you to pray when you think about how short your life is? Pray, all all of us, all of us ought to pray. Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Lord, teach us to understand just how short our lives are. Enable us to not give our hearts to to fleeting pleasures of sin, but enable us to lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven. Uh, Pray daily that the Lord would give you wisdom to live a a life glorifying to Him, a life set on eternity, on things above. If you're an older saint here tonight, and you've lived in God's providence perhaps most of your years, You can pray for the next generation in particular. Think of the example of Moses here, how he prayed that God's work would appear to the next generation. So pray that God's work would continue for the generations to come, for children and for children's children to taste and see that the Lord is good, that they would know the the glory of their salvation and the goodness of Jesus Christ. You young people and children can pray as well that the Lord would satisfy you early in life with His mercy, that you would uh, not give your heart as the, as the people of, of Israel of old did, that you would not give your heart to unbelief or to the, the idols of sin, but that you would be satisfied early in life with the mercy of God, that you would give your life to Him and that you would enjoy His presence, 
the gladness of His presence all your days. Certainly there's much for us to pray, all of us to pray as we reflect on the shortness of our lives and on the hope of everlasting life through Jesus Christ. One, one final thought as we conclude. Moses began the psalm, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Surrounded by death, again, constant refrain of death, those 40 years of wilderness wandering. Every time that the people of Israel broke camp, leaving graves in their wake. But yet, remember, what stood at the center of the camp through those 40 years of wandering? That visible gospel sermon, the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God with his people. The Lord has been the dwelling place of his people in all generations. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the word made flesh who literally dwelt or tabernacled among us. The presence of God with men. In every passing generation, our hope is in the Lord, the one who has condescended in grace and in mercy to a sinful people, a people whose lives are short, a people who often wander and give their hearts to idols. The Lord yet in his steadfast grace condescends to us and shows us his presence. And at the end of the age, we're promised a glorious, a glorious resolution to all things as God is yet our dwelling place in the new heavens and new earth. Remember the words of Revelation 21, verse 3. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. May you know the assurance that the Lord is your dwelling place, that you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who literally reveals the presence of God to sinful men, to sinful men and women, boys and girls. May you lay hold of him, and may you know the sure hope of life everlasting and the dwelling place of God with men, the wiping away of our tears and the blessing of life everlasting. Let us pray. Blessed God and everlasting Heavenly Father, how thankful we are that you have been our dwelling place in all generations. That in the midst of our tears, in the midst of our sins, in the midst of the brevity of our lives, that you are our hope. That in Jesus Christ you give us life, life more abundantly. Not the the life that vanishes away now, but that life that is everlasting, already begun, and that we will enjoy with you world without end. Lord, I ask for any who are yet outside of Christ, that they would uh, repent of their sin while there is time, uh, that they would lay hold on your promises of salvation through Christ, and that you would grant them repentance. Be with all of us, wipe away our tears, prepare us for glory, and and indeed teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.